Come on, could you help me welcome all of those who are logged in online with us this morning? Thank you guys for taking the time to join us, even if you couldn't be here. Our vision here at New Hope Fellowship is to meet people and grow closer to God together. We want to meet you and church. If you call this place home, we want you to be intentional on Sunday morning about meeting others and connecting with them. One of the ways that we connect uh, at a more personal level, besides just this Sunday morning service, again, is through our small groups. There are several opportunities for you to go to small groups throughout the week. You can see the name and the times at the top of the list. There's actually even a small group right in the way, if somebody didn't move it again, uh, for men's coffee at 640. If you like to get up early like I do not, then you can meet us at 640 on Thursdays at the Mosaic coffee shop. We're going to meet over there, and we'll just have a time together. That's all this is about, is just connecting and growing closer to God together through these studies. Um, I want you to remember this. Turn to John chapter 8, and then you can also, while you're turning there, put a marker at Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 10. So John chapter 8. Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 10. As you turn to John chapter 8, here's what I want to resound in your heart today as we discuss this idea of being under the influence. We are all under some sort of influence. The idea of being under some sort of influence is going to take place in our lives, whether we recognize it or not. So we may as well recognize it and understand what we are and what we are not dealing with. I want you to say this next phrase with me. I don't do this to you often, but I want it to resonate with you. I want you to say this with me. Just read it along with I'll, Actually, I'll say it. It is God's desire... For us to experience absolute freedom. Now that wasn't bad for the nine o'clock service. I'm gonna I'm gonna give that just give you your props there that, that that's not too bad. Maybe a couple more coffees, you'll be better. Let's try it one more time. It is God's desire for us to experience absolute freedom. That's his desire for us, okay? Anything less is not God's best for you. It's not God's best for me. In fact, I could even make it personal. It's God's desire for me to experience absolute freedom. Can you believe that with me? That every person in this room, in Jesus' name, can experience absolute freedom. The only people that do not experience absolute freedom are the people that do not recognize that they are in bondage. In fact, many believers are not free indeed because they do not recognize that they are indeed in bondage. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him. Verse 31. If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. Remember last week I told you that salvation does not complete the process. It begins the process. 
Salvation is not the end of it all. It's the ignition of it all. Verse 32 says, and then you shall know. There's not a then there, but it's understood because there was an if you continue or if you abide in my word. Verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Watch this. Therefore, if the son makes you go to 36, verse 36. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So a lot of people just say, he who the son sets free is free indeed. And it's fun. Like it feels good, right? It's fun to preach that way. I'm guilty of it. I've done it before, especially if I got excited and I had a lot of hankies in the air or some support out there. I might've said, he who the son, you know, I just get into it because I just got that want to in me. And it's fun, except for that's not what the scripture says. Sorry. It says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, then you shall be free. Can you see the possibility of a process in that passage? I'm just asking you. Because a lot of people get really frustrated. Well, I've come to the front. Well, I've been prayed for. Well, I said Jesus' name. Yeah, but you didn't stick it out. You stopped short. You got frustrated at the lack of feeling instead of operating in an abundance of faith. You got to stay in the process. The Son can make you free, and you shall be free indeed, but you have to stay in the process. Next week, uh, next Sunday at lunch, we as a staff, I think most of them, I know I personally and Megan and I have discussed this and I encourage you to discuss it with your significant other and possibly even a friend to help you hold, hold yourself accountable. We're going to do just a seven-day fast. Just for we, we do a fall fast. I've done a fall fast every year. I don't like it. I lose weight. I don't feel good. I get a headache, okay? It's not because I want to. It's because every year I've done it and I've never, ever wished I would not have done it after I finished. It's like mowing the yard. You're only thankful after it's over, but it was worth it, okay? <laughs> but we're going to start a fast next Sunday. Well, pastor, what do I fast? I want you to fast whatever you are spending the most time on that is not Jesus. I would encourage you to fast that, whatever that is. I want you to fast whatever it is that you have not been able to get freedom from for however long it's been. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit and ask God, Lord, what can I stop for seven days that could possibly set me free for the rest of my life? Establish a new habit. Some people like to fast lunch, like they don't eat at lunch. Instead, they spend that time praying. You can eat snacks all morning long. Look, there's a secret to every little process, okay? You eat snacks all day long. You can hide bread in your desk. Nobody said you couldn't eat, just said you couldn't eat lunch, okay? You can find things to do because it's more important that you develop good habits than it is that you just stop bad habits always. And fasting will separate you from the things that you don't need to be connected to and that's great until it's over. And then you just go right back to them. But if you will spend time praying 
then you can connect more to Jesus in the things that he has for you. And you won't just start repeating those bad habits over and over again. You will form new habits that will change you. To experience absolute freedom, we must be under the right influence. Turn to your Bibles. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to read a lot, but it's a good story. It's one of my favorite horror stories in the Scripture. And I use that word on purpose. And you'll see why later. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. We're talking about being under the influence. By the way, let me just give you a resource. The majority of the content of this message was preached by Pastor Robert Morris at Gateway in, uh, in Southlake, just near Dallas. This is an incredible message. If you miss some of what we're saying today, he does a very good job. There's a couple of doctrinal things that, that I may not see eye to eye on with him, but for the most part, it's a very good message that he preaches. I siphoned through that and put it into a context where I could understand it and communicate it where I believe we are today. Verse 1, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Verse 2, and when he had come out of the boat, that's Jesus, Jesus came out of the boat, immediately there met him, capital H, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So who's meeting Jesus? A man with an unclean spirit. Not just one being, but multiple beings, a man with an unclean spirit. Verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because you can't fight supernatural with natural. Verse 4, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him. That's impressive. And the shackles broken in pieces. I'm out. Neither could anyone tame him. It's okay, I'm already gone. Verse 5, Always night and day. This would not have been a good neighbor. He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Listen to me. If you ever feel led to cut yourself, that's a demonic spirit. God's desire for you is not for you to cut yourself or to harm yourself. His son already put all the stripes that ever needed to be made. And he wants you to be in his son so that you don't ever feel like you have to harm yourself that way again. I don't know who that's for, but I'm telling you that God loves you more than any damage that you could ever do. And you need to help teenagers understand that. And some of these younger people that began doing these things, show it to them in scripture, not out of anger, but out of concern and help them to understand that Jesus loves them more than they despise themselves. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. All right, that's a different he. It's got to be a different he because no demon has ever run and worshiped Jesus. All the other he's had to be something that was not a man because a man can't do all those things. And then verse 6, he saw Jesus from afar and he ran. A demon would never see Jesus from afar and run towards him. So you've got two different beings, at least. Verse 7, he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? A man wouldn't have known that. Now we're back to another spirit. We're back to something else. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Verse 8, for he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Now we know who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to the man. He's talking to the spirit in the man. 
Come out of him, unclean spirit. Verse 9, then he asked him, what is your name? He answered, saying, my name is Legion. That's about 6,280, if I just round it up, about 7,000. I mean, if you got 6,000 or 7,000, is the small number really the important piece there? It's like, you got demons, bro. 6,000 to 7,000 demons, for we are many. Verse 10, also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country because where a demon has a stronghold, they like to stay. It's important. Demons like to stay. An unclean spirit likes to stay where it already has a stronghold. So it says, please don't send me out of the country. I don't want to go out of the country. Let me stay where I have a stronghold. Verse 11 Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, 12. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus said, Yeah, go ahead. Then the unclean spirits went out of them and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 swine. So the pigs got jacked up too. I'm sorry. And then, uh, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Verse 14. So those who fed the swine fled. See, they stuck around longer than I ever would have. And they told it in the city and the country, and they went out to the sea. What it was that happened, verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. (laughs) What? (laughs) Like, you watch that whole thing, and that's what scared you? Come on. They were afraid. Verse 16, those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed or demonized. We'll come back to that. And about the swine, and they began to plead with him to depart from their region. (laughs) Uh, Leave. We liked the guy that was keeping us up all night. (laughs) I don't know. Anyways. Verse 18, and, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Jesus, however, said uh, he did not permit him to do that, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. See, Jesus will never tell you to stop doing something without giving you something to start. Okay? You don't have to stop. You don't, you don't focus on stopping the sin. You focus on starting something new because if you if you're focused on stopping the sin then what are you still focused on the sin he wants you to start something new he wants you to do something different verse 20 he departed and began to proclaim in decapolis all that jesus had done for him and all marveled and i'm done reading this passage all 20 verses There's one more thing I want you to know right here before we get into our points is that Decapolis was not a place. It it was a region. It was an area. It would be like Acadiana, okay, not just Eunice. This guy didn't just go out to his friends and his family. He didn't just go out even to his city or his community. This brother went out to Deca, 10, multiple places to make sure that everybody that he came into contact with knew and understood what he had formerly been bound by, he was now free from, and it was because of a man named 
Jesus. This man was demonized. He was demon-possessed. But Jesus made him free. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, here's what you need to know. There really are demons. There really are. The Bible in the New King James mentions demons 80 times. 61 of those times, 61 of the 80 times that demons are mentioned, they are mentioned in the gospel. Why are demons mentioned so many times in the gospel? Because before Jesus, nobody had authority over them. But in Jesus' name, they now have the ability to deal with things that formerly felt bigger than them. So Jesus made sure that everybody knew the things that you used to be concerned though, the things that you used to be bound by, I have authority over. And all authority in the heaven and on the earth has been given unto me. And you're joint heirs with me. I'm going to give it to you. Here's some facts about demons. Not to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you if you're here today. I'm trying to inform you. Because a well-informed individual will usually be less disagreeable. Number one about demons is they are just fallen angels. Fallen angels that followed Lucifer. Jesus said, I, th- I saw a third of heaven fall. Now, I'm not a math guy, but I know that Lucifer and a third of heaven fell, and that is what we refer to as demons. But here's, here's some good news for me, that two-thirds of heaven did not fall. <laughs> okay? So for every one demon that we may feel like we're dealing with, we've got two that are fighting for us and with us against the one. Two-thirds of heaven did not fall, even though one-third did. Well, and then sometimes we'll go, yeah, but man, this, this spirit thing, man, this spirit that's got a hold of me or this, this battle that I'm in, man, it, it still sure is tough. No, it's not. Not in Jesus' name. It is not. It is not tough. I'm telling you that demons are so subject to Jesus that he only sends one angel to overthrow the entire army in the last days. That's how subject demons are to Jesus. It's like they're standing around in heaven. The time comes, Gabriel and Michael are standing by Jesus, and and Jesus looks over and says, hey, it's time to go do the, and Gabriel and Michael, they're like, who do you want us to send? I don't know, send the new guy. You know, he can can take care of it. Just make sure he says, in Jesus' name, because if you try to fight that principality and power of darkness in any other name or with any other weapon, it will be carnal and it shall fail. Jesus only needs one angel in the last days to throw Satan, Lucifer, and a third of his army in a pit. And you have to remember that we are joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus has so much authority over him, he gave it to us, and all we have to do is operate in that same authority. Here's another characteristic of demons. They are disembodied spirits. In other words, they're spirits and they're looking for a body. And they had had all possessed this one man or they had all entered into this one man and then when they didn't have a place to enter, they asked to to go into the swines. Let me give you another example. Um, Jesus said that whenever it's a, a parable that Jesus cast out a demon out of a man, and then he says that the demon basically goes on a recruiting trip. And the demon goes and finds six more demons because demons need a place to dwell. They need a body 
They need a place to embody. They need a place to go into. So he goes and gets six more demons, and they go back to the place that they came from. And the Bible says if they find that place swept clean and empty, then they, re, they go back into that body, and the condition of that man was worse than his former condition. Have you ever seen that? You, you can see it. You, you see somebody get set free. You see them receive salvation. You see them leave the place, but they don't, they don't start doing something new. They don't change anything in their lives. They don't put in things that need to be put in, so the vessel is still empty, and then it comes back, and they're their new condition was worse than their, their former. Here's this, this is just really important, important. Again, demons, they really do exist. There is this heretical teaching out there that there is no hell, there is no devil, um, and that, that Jesus only cast out demons and did things in Scripture because that was what the cultural mindset was. So he was catering to the cultural mindset of that time. Okay, well, let's just look at a couple of passages just to make sure that that's not true. And I'll do this quickly. Don't try to uh, flip to these. Just write them down. You can go back and, and look at them later, or you can look them up online with us. Matthew 18, verse 16, it said, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So, okay, uh, a spiritual thing taking place and it was manifested in the physical. Matthew chapter 9, verse 32 and, and 33. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed, 33. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. Again, there it is, okay? It, something physical being caused by something spiritual, and Jesus cast out the spiritual, and the physical was also released, okay? He didn't just do that because that was the cultural mindset. Like, the, the guy wasn't playing mute. He really was mute. And Jesus cast out the demon that was holding him back and set him free, allowing him to speak. And the multitudes were marveled, saying it was never seen like this in Israel. Matthew 17, verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon. Okay, Jesus is not playing games. He's not rebuking something that's not really there just to entertain the crowd. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus got so tired of casting out demons, he's like, you know what, your turn. You go. I'm going to stay here. I've shown you enough. I think that's why some pastors leave the ministry. Can I just, at the front end of our ministry, only being a year in this lead pastor role, can I just confess this ahead? I believe this is why some pastors leave the ministry. Because they keep trying to be the church instead of trying to just be the pastor that equips the church to go out and do the ministry. Jesus said, okay, I've shown you enough. I've taught you enough. We've spent enough time together. It's your turn. It's time for you to put on the gloves. It's time for you to roll up your sleeves. It's time for you to go out and do what you've seen me doing because I've taught you everything that I have to teach you. And now it's just your time to try. Give it a valiant effort. Just make sure that you say in my name. Verse 15, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. 
Mark chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. So they went out and preached that people should repent. Verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. See, it's in the Gospels and in the book of James. That's why we anoint with oil. We're not casting out demons. We're just praying over people. Sometimes we do, but people don't know it. And sometimes it's been done before. On a very rare occasion, I think twice in my life, have I ever seen an actual demon begin to manifest itself. And it was a very emotional experience. And then it was a very dramatic experience. And then I made it a very real experience. When he tried to re-manifest himself on the inside, I grabbed him by the shirt, I pulled him up real close, and I told him to stop that crazy mess. You've already been delivered. And he said, Okay, <laughs> sometimes you just got to get real with people. Let me give you one, one more. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. I, I think I've shown you enough. Um, there really are demons. There, there really are evil spirits. And, um, and they really do mess with people. But they are not God. They are not Jesus. Um, There is not a devil under every rock because the devil is not omnipresent. He is limited just like we are. God is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. All-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere, all the time. My God is able to make me free. C.S. Lewis said, amen. Go ahead. Thank you. Not thank you for me, but thank you for celebrating that kind word. C.S. Lewis says, there are two kinds of people Lucifer loves, the skeptic and the superstitious. And I'm glad our team is uh, better at spelling than I am because I spelled it wrong in my notes, but they have it right up there. Praise the Lord. So the superstitious are the type that uh, there is a demon under every bush, under every rock, around every corner, right? That's the superstitious. Lucifer loves those because he can just toy with your mind. Your mind is a playground of opportunity for him because you don't understand the power that you have made available to you in Jesus' name. He's not omniscient. Only God can be everywhere all the time, and he is all-powerful. And Lucifer loves the skeptic that demons don't exist. They never existed, and all oh, that's not that big of a deal. So group, uh, group B would say, Pastor, that's too intense. You don't have to preach that way. It's okay for us to watch these horror films. My bad. It's because some of y'all enjoy that. And it's just a movie that people committed suicide in after they got finished starring in. It's no big deal. Just let it into my home. Let it into my car. Let it into my mind. And who cares that the Bible says the eye is a lamp of the body, and if evil enters in, the whole body's evil. Who cares about that? It's just a scripture. It's one scripture. You can't base doctrine on one scripture. I'm sorry. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Pastors, it's too intense. You don't have to preach that way. Why are you talking about demons? That's group B. And then there's, there's group A that, you know, well, it's about time he preaches on something deep. Finally getting to the good stuff. You know, that's those people. Listen, if you're on either end of that spectrum, you need to move to the middle, okay? You need to, you need to get right here in the balance and, and, and quit being a teeter-totter, okay? You get hurt on those things. I've seen it. You remember those little animals with the springs? What were those? Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
You know why our kids will never see those? Because they realize how dangerous those demons on springs is what they were. If you're in either one of those camps, but here, listen, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Once again, demons are real, but Jesus makes us free. Okay. I told you last week, Jack Hayford, he said, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't discipline a demon. Let me say that again. You can't cast out your flesh. You can't discipline a demon. So, so do I need discipleship or, or do I need deliverance? Yes. <laughs> Listen, I, I want you to know this. I didn't say do you need. I said do I need. Because Jesus has not just made me free. He is making me free. So do I need discipleship or do I need deliverance? Well, it kind of just depends on what time of year it is, just to be totally honest. Kind of depends on what's going on around me. Last week when I heard that a friend died that had messaged me on Facebook and I didn't get back to him in time and he had found in, a, in his car with a gunshot in the back of his head, I played baseball with him when I was 14 years old. That day I needed deliverance because I was hurting and that felt bigger than me. Sometimes you need discipline and sometimes you need deliverance. Sometimes you just need, you know, more discipleship and, and more effort and more work and more Bible studies and and you just need more. You need to work. You need to put some effort, right? And some energy. You need to put your actions where your heart is, supposedly. But then sometimes you just need the fire of God. Sometimes you just need more Jesus. Sometimes you just need a moment where you're washed. But listen, don't forsake one for the other. We have people, that everybody's on one end of the spectrum or the other. Well, do I need discipleship or deliverance? Yes, well, do I need discipline? Probably. Or do I need the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. <laughs> Just have both. Pastor Robert gives his personal testimony. I won't go all into all this, but some of you have heard the man's name before. His name's James Robinson. He's on TV often. And uh, he doesn't say so to sow a seed for $1,000 and receive your miracle. He says, sow a seed of $1,000 so we can give these kids in, in these third world countries some water because they're dying. Okay, so I kind of like James Robinson because my heart's kind of there. I think it's, it's silly all the things that we spend money on when there's kids that don't have clean drinking water. It's just crazy to me. I have a heart for that. I like James Robinson, and he was meeting with Pastor Robert Morris early, about 30 years ago, and, and Robert Morris was still bound by some. He had received salvation at 19 years old and, and began to, tr to preach and travel in the ministry, but, but he had some, some grotesque immoralities in his life, and, and actually they had even manifested themselves into, a, into extramarital relationships. Not a relationship, but relationships. Okay, and so he, you know, Robert Morris and, and, and James Robinson, they're meeting together and they're sitting down and, and James begins to go through some of the scriptures that we're going through today. And, and, and Pastor Robert, he just said, I, I set my, my ice cream down and, and, uh, and, and you said, are, are you trying to say that, that, that I'm like, I'm facing demons, that I have demons? And James said, oh, you, you know, just real gracious and in and, and the way that James is, he says, you got a whole flock of them, son. <laughs> he said, Robert Morris said, was a personal testimony, he said, it's the first time and the last time that I, I didn't need a bite of my ice cream and I let the whole thing melt. I've never done it again since then, but I was so overwhelmed. But then he realized um, the more that he read, the, the, the more hope that he had because 
if it's a spirit, then you can be free from it. See, you, you can't get free from yourself. <laughs> but you can be free from a spirit. So if you're facing a spirit, the good news is that you can be free from it. In fact, let me remind you again, the only people that do not get free are the people that do not admit they're in bondage. The only people that are not free indeed are those who do not indeed admit. Okay, look, I got a problem. I, it's bigger than me. It's a spirit. But Jesus can make you free. Every time. You can be free. Number two, spirits, even demons, still influence people. John chapter 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Didn't say he couldn't come in the sheepfold. Said the only ones that are in the sheepfold and supposed to be there are the ones that came in through the door. But there are some that are going to come up over the wall or come around or come, well, however... And that person is a thief. Or that spirit is a thief. Something exists in the sheepfold that should not. Paul addressed this. He said, watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. Didn't say they couldn't come in. Well, if it can happen in the church, then why can't it happen in the church? And I'm not, am I saying, Pastor Chris, are you saying that, that Christians can be possessed by demons? Well, just hang on before you jump to conclusions. Verse 10 says, the thief comes not except to. Now this is important because a lot, again, I, and I've said it before, the thief comes to steal, kill. No, 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 listen. The thief does not come except to. Like there is no other reason that he is there except for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come. <laughs> if the thief only came for this just one purpose, watch this, Jesus then says, but I have come for a greater purpose. And I have come that you may have life and that you would not only just have life, but that you would have it even more abundantly. Because I'm not just going to stop at saving you, baby. I'm going to set you free. I'm the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of your faith. I didn't just save you and then leave you alone. No, we're going to work this thing out together from today and all the way into eternity. So can a Christian be possessed? Well, let's look at the word. Demoni, Zomai, in this passage, Matthew chapter uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5, and then also in Matthew chapter 9, you see this demon-possessed, demonized, oh my, it, it, it means ownership. Like, the demon owns that individual. But there's another word for possess in the New Testament that does not mean ownership. It means to gain mastery or, or control, to have power over, or, or to influence let me give you a couple. Uh, well, actually, it's the same word that by your patience, possess your soul. That's in uh, Luke 21, 19. By your patience, possess. It doesn't mean that you own your soul. Who owns your soul? Not you. <laughs> but it means that you can have control over. That you can have influence. That you can master your soul 
by your patience. So can a Christian be owned by a demon? No. A believer cannot be owned by a demon. But can a believer be influenced by a demon? My Lord. Oh my gosh, are you saying? I have demon. I don't know if I'm facing a demon or maybe. But here's the good news: if it's a spirit, then you can be free from it. I used to attribute a lot of things to my flesh that when I realized that they were spiritual, I got liberty. Because I had to wake up tomorrow morning in my flesh, but I don't have to wake up tomorrow morning with that spirit. I can be made new over and over and over again. Let me ask you this question. Is there any area of your life that you don't feel like you have control over? Is there any area in your life that you continue to make the same mistake over and over and over and over? You see. Is there any area in your life that you feel like, I really want to not do this, but I just can't stop? You may be dealing with a spirit. When I leave my house, I don't leave the windows open. I don't leave the door open. I lock it. Um, I used to alarm it. Don't have one of those anymore. I'm not paying for it, you know, unless the watchman guards the city. I'm sorry, the Lord, not the watchman, guards the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. So I just keep that money. If you have one, good for you. I'll take one if you want to get whatever. So <clears throat> I lock the doors. But let's just say I leave my door unlocked. I leave my windows open. And a thief comes into my house. He's there for one reason. Okay. Does he own my house? No. But, but while he's in there, does he have control over my house? Let's just say that there's a, there's a storm coming and I'm in the midst of it. And this storm is about to come over my house. It's on the outside pushing down on me. Does that storm own my house? No. But at that moment, is it, is it master? Is it control of my house? Yeah. So let me just say it this way. Whether it's on the outside pressing you, or on the inside, interior, influencing with you. Whether you got to get it off or get it out. Just get rid of it. And guess what? All you have to do is begin to say the name of Jesus. All you have to do is begin to push back against that power and that principality of darkness. Let me give you one more example because I don't have time. Pastor John, come. I'm going to give it to you anyway because it's hilarious. <laughs> My wife is really, really sweet. <clears throat> um, and, but, but when she, she's on paid med, pain meds, she is hilarious. Okay, <laughs> like She's no longer sweet. She is the center of my attention of humor. She's always centering my attention, obviously. But, but in that moment, let me just tell you, my wife would never say this. Our pastor came to visit her. She was pregnant with Adeline. She had this back thing that was going on. They thought she was going into labor way too early, and so they gave her some pain meds. <laughs> I was like, yes, where's my phone? And so, 
She goes on these pain meds. Like, I'm not funny whenever I get pain meds. I am angry. I'm ugly. Okay, I'm that guy. That's why I don't drink. Not the only reason, but, like, I'm, it's not funny. I'm not, a, I'm not a get loose. I'm a get ugly. That's what happens to me. But she gets funny. And so our pastor is in there, and he's praying over her, and he's almost 70 years old um, at the time, and, and he's praying over her, and, and then he begins to talk, you know, Megan, were you hurting? Were you hurting? She, oh, I was hurting. I was hurting. I was hurting, hurting. And, and, and the doctor said, uh, it was, my pain was so bad that, the, that I didn't need to be embarrassed because it would have made old men like you get down on their knees. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that's what I did on the inside. On the outside, I was like, Pastor, you're really not that old, man. I mean, it's just She's on drugs. <laughs> did, the, did they own her? No. Did they influence her? If a Christian or a believer leaves an open door in their lives, if a Christian or a believer leaves an open area in their lives, you better look and know and understand that the enemy is looking for an opportunity to get a foot in. Because he understands this phrase that Pastor Weston and I, and I have heard from for many years from our friend and mentor, Johnny Hunt, that if, that if he can get a foothold in your life, then he can get a stronghold on your life. The believer becomes under the influence of the Spirit. But number three, I know the one. I know the one who over and over and over again forgives and cleanses and makes us free. Jesus makes us free. It may be a spirit, but I know the one that makes us free. He will cast them out, and he keeps them out. I don't cast them out and keep them out. He casts them out, and he keeps them out. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 17. I got to go quickly. Verse 17, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Yes, look at that. Can you imagine like the first time that this demon possessed? Like, and one of them's like, in Jesus' name. Whoa, did you see that? Whoa. Watch out. Who wants some? <laughs> there is power. Not just in his name, but inside of you. That these hands have been cleansed and made pure and given the authority to have subject over death, hell, and the grave just like he did. The demons are subject to us in your name. Verse 810, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Can you hear Jesus' tone? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. I don't recommend doing that to a real one, okay? This is spiritual. 
If you step on a scorpion, take your shoe off and film it. Tag me in it and post it somewhere. Over all the power of the enemy. All the power of... There's not an area in your life that is bigger than you. There is a Jesus that is bigger than it. There is no place that you cannot have freedom over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Jesus says, it's not even that big of a deal. We're making too much out of it. The devil came against me. Good. Say Jesus. He's got to go. Like, that's it. That's it. Well, I didn't feel it. No, you didn't faith it. Do it again. Well, the Bible says not to repeat your prayer. Yeah, but he said that for heaven's sake, not for your sake. Sometimes you got to keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and doing it over and over and over and over again. Not until heaven believes it, but until you believe it. He's nevertheless, don't rejoice over this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The, the demons are subject and obedient. They become, the word subject, this is so good. It says they become obedient, submissive slaves. <laughs> like, you don't just have authority over them. You can go tell them what to do. <laughs> now, you use sound verbiage whenever you say that, you know, but go you have control in Jesus' name. Mark chapter 5, verse 6, and this is where we're going to end today. I'm not even going to have a salvation call today. We're going to have a moment because I want you to watch what ignited this man's freedom. In Mark chapter 5, verse 6, it says, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. He may have had a legion of demons, but 7,000 participants in hell couldn't stop the man from running to Jesus and having his time of worship. And I want you to stand with me all over this place today.